0: Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flower Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world with the good news by making disciples of Jesus Christ. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from yesterday's message from our We Are series. Let's take a listen.
1: We are going to look at our our fourth value this week. Um, and, And my prayer has been is that you leave here stretched today. That you leave here kind of pushed to the limit Today, because we can't talk about obedience as a follower of Christ and not be stretched. We can't talk about obedience to our Lord and Savior and not feel overwhelmed at times because of some of the things that God's gonna lead us to do. And so we have been unpacking our five values that we feel that God has placed on our heart here that that we're gonna strive after, that we're gonna continue walking in. Um, The very first one is biblical teaching. Um, And we all know that that one is not up for compromise. And I was just, man, singing that last song just a minute ago. His word stands final and forever. It will not be shaken over every circumstance. It has power. Church, we need to be reminded of that in this season that we're in right now that even in the chaos of our world, even what's going on on the other side of the world, even what's going on in our hospitals, all of that stuff, understand that this word is final and it will always stand true. This is our promise, this is what we stand on. And we will not and will never compromise the truth of this word. That's why biblical teaching is our number one value that will never be shifted around. The next week we talked about intentional community, Last week we talked about grateful generosity and kind of to expand on that. Um, I don't know, many of you may have seen that the SRO at Davis Middle School passed away and, and it was kind of a full circle moment for me uh, because you know, that's kind of where I stepped into ministry was at Davis Middle School and was to get to go back there this week and, and take Chick-fil-A boxes and to love on their staff and to serve them. And I know church, you may be thinking, well oh, that's just a Chick-fil-A box yes, but you don't understand the gospel conversations that were had in the hallways. And able to talk to teachers, able to talk to the principal, Mike McQueen, who, who I just got a text message just a moment ago. They reached out again to us as a church family because Mike McQueen will be doing the eulogy tomorrow at the funeral. And they have asked us as a church to pray for Mike, to pray that God uses him. Church, that's why we take Chick-fil-A boxes, is because they know that we are gonna lock arms. It's not about a church name, but it's about the kingdom name. And so that's what we're called to do. And so that's because of your generosity, we're able to do that. Because of you being open handed with the resources that God has given you, is what has allowed us to go into the schools and do that. This week, we're gonna be talking about surrendered obedience. And last week, we'll kind of put the big bow on it with active humility. But before we look at surrendered obedience, I wanted to share the definition of obedience. The definition of obedience is this, submissive compliance to the commands of the one in authority. Submissive compliance to the commands of the one that is in authority. And if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have declared him the master and the Lord of your life, which means that you are surrendering everything you have to his authority, letting him guide, letting him lead, letting him teach, and we are to surrender to that, and we are to surrender to him and him alone, no matter what's going on in this world, no matter what's going on in this chaotic nation that we're living in, but our number one allegiance is to who he is and to what God has called us to do and to his lordship. So we're gonna surrender in obedience to him and him alone. I received a message this week um, and it was just eye-opening to me. But it was addressing the stuff that's going on in Afghanistan. And it was from a pastor that is local here and evidently he's got a connection and I may get a little um, twisted here and uh, not tell you all the exact facts, but you'll get the general idea but evidently this pastor, they've got connections. They know some missionaries that are in Afghanistan right now. And somehow they communicated to them and they were having conversation with them. I don't know which way they were having conversation, if it was via email or phone or, or what it was. But the pastor asked, he said, hey, what can we do for you in Afghanistan? How much money do you need? What resources can we send? What can we do to help you in this season? And on the other end, the missionary just simply said, the only thing you can do right now is pray. That's all you can do is pray. And so then he unpacked the three things that he has asked the church to pray for. Now, if I'm in Afghanistan and the situation they're in, you know what I'm praying for? God, get me out of this mess. God, get me away home. Get me out of here. But here are the three things that they requested to pray for. Number one, pray for protection. Number two, pray for courage. Did you hear that one? Pray for courage. Church, I don't know if you realize, but that is a, a bold prayer because just praying for courage, they realize that there may not be a way out. But the last thing they asked to pray for was just to pray that God gets the glory. Because you realize they're gonna be put in a situation where they either deny or declare the name of Jesus. And if they declare the name of Jesus, they're gonna lose their life. Church, that is surrendered obedience. That is surrendered obedience but they're not willing to compromise because they know who the Lord of their life is. They've surrendered to his lordship. And you know, church, here's the truth. What they're experiencing over there is something we will potentially be experiencing here. Who is our allegiance to? Are we surrendered in obedience to stand and to not compromise who our Lord is. You know, last week we talked about grateful generosity and if we're gonna be a church that is following this idea or this, this value of gr- being a grateful and a generous church, it's gonna have to be made up of people who are generous. So if we're gonna be a church who, is, who who's a, abiding by surrendered obedience, we're gonna have to be a church that is made up full of obedient followers of Christ. We can't be a surrendered, obedient church if we don't have surrendered, obedient followers of Christ that make it up. And so today, that's what we're gonna talk about is having surrendered obedience. Every time obedience is mentioned, I always, kind of my go-to book, and you're gonna hear how twisted my mind is, but I always go to the book of Jonah. You know, two years ago that we walked through a series and we just simply walked through the book of Jonah And you say, Well, Brian, really, Jonah's all about being disobedient. But what I think the book of Jonah paints is this very clear picture of the friction between obedience and disobedience. And we see how the two come against one another and the effects of both. And so today we're kind of, it's kind of backwards, but we're really going to focus more on the results of being disobedient than we are being obedient. And so I want you to turn to the book of Jonah chapter one or the book of Jonah, and we're gonna look just at this first chapter. And the reality is, as I know this, that if you were a follower of Christ, we have all struggled with what Jonah is struggling with in chapter one. Jonah chapter one, and we're gonna just start in verse one. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... Now, I want us to stop right there. Now look, we're gonna kinda go verse by verse. Here's where as a New Testament church where we celebrate today, because if you don't know, Jonah was a prophet and when it says the word of the Lord came to him, that was the way God would speak. God would speak to the prophets and then the prophets would communicate God's word to the people. Again, why we focus on biblical teaching It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the word of God, we have full access to God. We don't have to wait to hear from some prophet. It's already been spoken, it's right here. This is what we have. And this is why we will focus and always land on biblical teaching. And so here's the truth, God's still speaking. We don't have to hear it through a prophet because we have access to the Almighty God through this word. And that is why we want you in it because this is how God speaks. But you know, I always struggle when people say, well, Brian, God's just not speaking. I'm not hearing God speak. I always want you to follow that with the challenge of asking this question. How much are you reading his word? How much are you in the Bible? So if you're not hearing God speak, you're probably not reading what he has said. Now I'm not saying that we go through seasons of dryness and through valleys and all that kind of stuff, but here's the truth, I want you to understand. Even if God's not speaking, you still keep listening to his word. You stay faithful because this is the word of God. This is how he speaks and his word has been spoken. His word continues to speak. And his word will always speak. That's just the power of this Bible. That's the power of this God-breathed word that we celebrated several weeks ago. But I wanna go ahead and tell you that when you're in the word of God, when you're hearing God speak, go ahead and be ready because when God speaks, he will call you to obedience, which is the very reason a lot of us don't like hearing what God has to say. When the word of God speaks, he will call us to obedience. And that's exactly what's happened to Jonah in verse two. Read verse two, he's spoken and he says, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. So he gets the instruction from God. He gets the direction from God and God tells him to go to Nineveh and you cry out against their sin. You know, it's one thing for God to tell us as believers, as followers of Christ, to go and tell us to call out the sin of another brother or sister in Christ. That's one thing, right? That's uncomfortable in and of itself. If God lays on my heart that I see that somebody is slipping back into sin and the Holy Spirit prompts me to go and to call that person sin out in love, that's still difficult. But here God is telling Jonah to go to Nineveh and speak out against their sin, to speak out against their evil. So keep in mind, he's not telling Jonah to go to a a group of believers. He's telling these Jonah to go to a bunch of people who were lost his last year's Easter egg, who are just wicked, who are evil, and is wanting him to cry against their sin. Just to let you know how evil they are. I don't know if you've ever looked into what was going on in Nineveh, but this was kind of like Sin City on steroids. You see, because they would skin people alive and hang them outside the city walls. Skin them alive, not after they're dead, as they're alive, skin them and hang them up for decoration. Then they would go and take the head of men off and stack them up in pyramid form as decoration. They would boast about raping women and young girls. And then the one that was absolutely just sounds horrendous, as if those others are not. They would take people and bury them in the sand, standing up and cover them up to their chin as they were alive in the desert. Then they would open their mouth and pull their tongue out and drive a stake through their tongue and leave them for dead. And so God has spoken to Jonah and said, hey, go call them out, go call them out for their evilness. Now, just to sort of put this in perspective, how many of us in this room have been commanded or directed by the Holy Spirit of God to do something, and it scares us to death. Jonah's living proof. But here's the difference, God has called Jonah to go and tell these people who are just absolutely evil that they're sinful, to offer forgiveness, to tell them of God, but what we consider a stretch is if God calls us to go serve downstairs and kids, if God calls us to teach a small group, if God calls us to tell a coworker about Jesus, we think, ah, nope, can't do that one. Does that really even compare to what God has told Jonah to do? But yet we live in fear because we think we can't be obedient to God because it may make us a little uncomfortable. How many of you gonna sign up to go to Nineveh right when church is over? Because I understand that obedience to God is a scary place to be. Because many of us feel unqualified, we feel disqualified, honestly. We don't feel prepared. We don't feel that we have the skill set to do whatever it is that God has called us to do. Can I tell you that God is never going to call you to do something that he doesn't provide for? That's the power of who God is. That is the power of who God is. But look at how Jonah responded. Jonah responded a lot of the same way that you have responded when God has called you to to give one Sunday a week to go and serve with the preschool downstairs. He responded the same way that we do, but it's just a little bit weightier of what he's running from. Look at at verse three. Remember, God has spoken. God has commanded something that is very, very far-fetched. And look at how Jonah responds. Verse three, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa and he found a ship which was going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I've told y'all a thousand times, I'm a pretty common sense guy. But the first thing I noticed, and I literally laughed, because we can all relate to Jonah. Because God has spoken And what is his knee-jerk reaction? He gets up and runs. He didn't even do the Christian thing. You know, when God speaks to us, what do we do? Oh God, let me pray about it. God, I'll pray about it. What are we praying about? God's already given the direction. God's already given the instruction. But you see, Jonah didn't even do that. He didn't even say, God, let me pray about it. Jonah got up and he ran. He left and he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And the reason that he did that is because what God was commanded him to do was so far-fetched, was so just out in left field, Jonah had to be thinking, you know what? This call from the Lord has gotta be a prank call. God has sent the text message to the wrong guy. I got it, God must have butt dialed me. That's not what he meant. He did not mean for me to go to Nineveh. He did not mean to me to go to this place that is just wicked and evil. But I wonder how many of us in this room, has that ever happened to us? How many times has God done or spoken something to you and it was so outlandish, you blamed it on what you ate the night before? We all have. When God has spoke that thing that is just, there is no way, no how we think that we have misheard God because it is so far out in left field. But here's what I wanna tell you. Where I've seen God work is that the farther out in left field that that it is, Let that be your confirmation that that is what God has spoken. The more outside the box it is, is usually the proof that we need that God has the one that has spoken that. You see, that's where we struggle as Christians. And I've shared this before because all of us in this room, we wanna see God do just these out of the box things. We wanna see God just do these miraculous things. But the problem is, is we're not willing to step out of our box of obedience. God, I want you to do this, but God, don't let me step out of this comfort spot. God, yes, I want to clap. I wanna applaud for all the miraculous things you do, but God, just don't call me out of here. This is comfortable, this is easy, So God, I want you to do the miraculous. God, don't stretch me too much. I'm gonna applaud you, God, but don't make it too hard. And that's exactly what Jonah's done. Jonah didn't want anything to do with this in left field thing that God was calling him to do. So he got up and he caught the first ship to anywhere but here. We see that he got on a ship. He went down to the the port at Joppa and he got on the first ship that he could find that took him to Tarshish. Now here's what's interesting. From the geographical standpoint, understand that Nineveh was 600 miles east of Joppa. 600 miles east is where God has called Jonah to go. So he gets on the ship to, to Tarshish and guess where it's going? 2,000 miles west. 2,500 miles in the opposite direction of where God was calling Jonah to go. How many of us has responded that very same way? That when God calls, when God speaks, we run the opposite direction. We run as far away from God in disobedience as we can because we don't wanna hear the voice of God. We don't wanna hear what he has to say because this is gonna be awkward. This is gonna be tough. There is no way I can do it. So you know what? God's calling me east, so I'm going west. And I'm getting as far away from the Lord as I can. And that's what Jonah's done. He is running in disobedience. He is running disobedience and disobedience. And that's what brings us to the the effects of disobedience. And if you're not writing, if you're writing down, these are the three things that I want you to write down about disobedience. Because I became so burdened and convicted about the effects of my disobedience at times in my life. But the things that we see about disobedience, number one is this. Disobedience is always easier than obedience. Disobedience is always easier than obedience. Because if you noticed when when Jonah went down to Joppa, when he went to the port, he didn't have to look around for a ship to get on. It's not like he had to go around and beg these guys, hey, can I please get on your boat? Hey, can you take me somewhere? Can you go any, he just walked down there, found a ship and got on it. And and matter of fact, did you see what happened? He had to pay. He had to pay. But I would venture to say if he would have got on the boat to go to Nineveh, where God had called him to go, probably an all expense paid trip because God would have took care of it. But we see that he goes down. And here's what I want you to hear about this. That disobedience is always easier than obedience. Now keep this in mind. With every one door opened in obedience, you better be ready because Satan is gonna open 10 doors to disobedience. For every one door of obedience, Satan is gonna multiply that because he wants you to take the easy way out. He wants you to go the opposite direction and he's gonna make it as easy as possible for you to get there. You know, we read about that in Matthew chapter seven when Jesus is speaking. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it quite quick. But in Matthew chapter seven, verse 13 and 14, it says, enter through the narrow gate, go east. Be obedient and you go east. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. Go west, there's a whole lot of ships that are going to Tarshish. There's a whole lot of ships that are going the other direction. And there are many who enter that way. Because remember, disobedience is always easier than obedience. But then verse 14, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. There's one door that leads to life. There's one door that leads to life and that is obedience to Jesus Christ. Satan's gonna open 10 other doors for disobedience. But Jesus says that he is the way, the truth and the life that no one comes to the Father except through him. You don't get to choose what's behind door one, two or three. He is door number one and that's it. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, if we're submitted to his lordship, church, that's the narrow gate that we must walk on. That must the narrow gate that we must walk through is obedience to him. Obedience to him. So not only does disobedience always easier than obedience, number two, disobedience numbs you to the things of God. Disobedience numbs you to the things of God. Look at verses four and five. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea that the ship was about to break up. Verse five, then the sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God, little G God. You're gonna see the transformation that happens as we keep reading. But they cried to this little God And they were through their cargo, which was in the ship for the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and falling asleep. You see, Jonah had become comfortable in his disobedience. Jonah had become calloused to the voice of the Lord Jonah's heart had become hardened and he was comfortable in not hearing the Lord. And he was so comfortable he had been lulled to sleep. He was so comfortable in his sin that he had been lulled to sleep that he did not even notice the mess that he had created because he was so calloused and numb to the things of God as a result of his disobedience. How many times have we done that in our own lives? How many times have we ran from the Lord for so long that we've become callous to the things of God? How many times have we ran from the Lord so far that we're not even sensitive to what God's trying to lead us to do or direct us to do? You know, you hear, I was on the phone just a little while ago for probably 30 minutes with a brother in Christ who's hurting. Doesn't even go to church here. But he had called me and he was pouring his heart out. And he was just sharing with how bad he's hurting. And he was sharing how bad that, that he wants God to speak. But the truth is, as church, there's so many times in our life that when we run in disobedience, that we become numb to what God is speaking. There's some of us in the room this morning that we need to ask God to rip the callus off of our hearts. Make it hurt again. Make it hurt again, because you all know when you first start working out or some of you that play the guitar, when you first begin, it hurts. But once the calluses begin to come into place, once they begin to form on your hands, it doesn't hurt as much anymore. That's exactly the way our hearts do with the voice of God is we run in disobedience until we become numb to his voice. But church, here's where this topic gets very weighty. Not only does our disobedience affect us, but our disobedience affects all that are involved. Number three, disobedience affects everyone involved. Our disobedience doesn't just affect us. And that's what we see here in this this story of Jonah. He was callous to it. He didn't even recognize this storm that had been sent. He didn't recognize that the ship was about to sink, but what has it done to everybody else on the ship? They're scared out of their minds. They've done nothing for this. This is all a result of Jonah's disobedience. So his disobedience has affected everyone on the ship. His disobedience has created a mess for everyone around. How many times in our life has our disobedience affected our family? How many times in our life has our disobedience affected our children? How many times has our disobedience affected our workplace? How many times has our disobedience affected the ones that we love the most? Because disobedience just doesn't affect you. You know what? The devil will tell you it does. The devil will tell you that that hidden sin is only affecting you. The enemy will tell you that your disobedience, it's okay, it's comfortable, it's fun, it feels good. You're the only one that's affected. Can I tell you he is still a liar and a deceiver because your disobedience is affecting everyone involved. And they may not even know they're involved. But if they're in your sphere of influence, they're involved. And that's exactly what we're seeing with this this cruise ship And so we look around, I think about my life as a kid growing up. Y'all all know my story. My dad with his struggles with alcohol, the enemy told him that his disobedience wasn't hurting anyone but himself. That's a lie. That is a lie because his disobedience affected my home, affected my family. And yes, those are very obvious but you also realize that there's some that aren't so obvious that it's affecting. So when we look at the Jonah story, we see that it has affected the whole crew, that it's affected all those that are in his sphere of influence. The ones that we forget about is where did God command Jonah to go in the beginning? Told him to go to Nineveh. These were the people that needed to hear the truth. These were the people that needed to hear from their wickedness. And so what we find out even later is that his disobedience delayed their delivery. His disobedience delayed their repentance. And so church, here's what I know is that if God is calling you to do something, it's not just about you, but it's about everyone involved. Can I tell you there's nothing sweeter for me because I spent a lot of time serving in student ministry. And I remember that these volunteers would come to me, just shivering in there, just shaking, scared to death. And they said, "Brian, I know God has called me to serve in students." And then you fast forward two weeks, three weeks, and then all of a sudden they come into my office, just weeping, because they said, "Look what I've been missing out on. God's been calling me to do this for years." But Brian, I was able to sit with somebody in small group and share my story. And my story was that kid's story. So church, here's the truth. If God's calling you to go to your Nineveh, there's somebody at that Nineveh that needs you. There's somebody in that Nineveh that is awaiting your arrival because God has prepared you with whatever you have to meet them right where they're at. Don't let your disobedience delay their deliverance. And the hard part of that is you may never know about it because some are not as obvious. But don't let your disobedience delay somebody else's deliverance. Maybe there's kids who need you. Maybe there's students who need you. Maybe there's adults who need you. But how does our disobedience affect all those around us? How does our disobedience affect all those around us? Some of you are here this morning and you know good and well that your disobedience has created a mess. But there's good news coming. So disobedience, it's always easier. Disobedience always numbs us. And disobedience affects everyone around us. But let me tell you one thing that disobedience does not do. You ready for the good news, right? Disobedience does not dictate or change the character of God. Your disobedience doesn't change who God is. Because keep in mind, Jonah is 25 miles away from obedience. But the beauty of this story is God never stopped pursuing him. God never gave up on him. He ran as far as he could away from the Lord, but God never quit chasing Jonah. And God used a storm to wake him up. I heard a preacher preach this week and it said that literally that he used this storm, yes, to wake him up physically, but he also used this storm to wake him up spiritually. Now, I've really wrestled with even how to go here, but I think we can all agree that our country, that our community, that we're in a mess We are in a mess. But you know what the lost world is gonna do is they're gonna get angry at this God. God, are you pouring out your wrath on our country? God, are you pouring out your wrath to punish us? And some of us in this room, you may even feel that very same way. You may even feel like the wrath of God is being poured out on your home because you're angry because God has done something you're frustrated at God. Instead of looking at the storms that are being sent our way as a punishment, church, what if we recognize that these storms are a picture of the grace of God to wake us up spiritually? What if these storms that God is sending our way is not to punish us, but they're to open up our eyes for the need that we have of a man named Jesus? do you not realize that I believe with everything in me? That is why we have seen the growth here in this last year like we have. Because here's the thing, we're not doing anything any different. We're still preaching the word. We're still singing worship. And all of a sudden people start coming. You know why? Because these storms are opening people's eyes spiritually. And these storms are helping people recognize, you know what? This storm may not be God's punishment, but this storm may be God's grace to wake me up and let me know of my need of this man named Jesus. And we baptized over a hundred people as a result. But church, this one. Do we love the gospel enough that we welcome the storms? Yes, look, I want life to go back to normal. We all do. But what if this is the new normal? Can I tell you, I could get used to the new normal, baptizing over 100 people a year. God, you do whatever you've gotta do so that we get to see people step into light. God keeps sending the storms. And I know some of you going, that dude's crazy. (laughs) Maybe so, but man, I love seeing people saved by the grace of God. I love seeing people saved by the grace of God. And if it takes storms, yes, we're gonna have to humble ourselves and say, God, do what you gotta do to wake us up. Do what you gotta do to wake us up. But then you keep reading in that passage of where Jonas fell asleep and now everybody in the ship goes in panic mode. You can read that in verses six through eight. For the sake of time, we won't read it, but the captain comes to Jonah and he says, hey, have you caused this? And Jonah says, nothing. Who's gonna admit to that one? And then all of a sudden the crews, they get together and they start to cast lots, which is basically glorified of flipping coins and all heads pointed to This is the guy. So they wake this sucker back up and they said, we think it's you. Is it you? And now all of a sudden we see transformation begin. Read with me in verses nine through 13. He said, talking about Jonah, he said to them, he finally admitted, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made this sea and dry land, verse 10. Then the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea and then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. You see, what's happened right here, at verse nine, verse nine, is the calluses have been torn off. Jonah is awakened to what God is trying to do. He's acknowledged his disobedience. He is acknowledging that he has created this mess. But then what we love, and this is we're going back to generosity last week. Now all of a sudden we see this seed that is in Jonah. We see this generous heart coming to life because now what does he do? Instead of worrying about himself, he says that in order to save you, go ahead and throw me over the ship. Who is that just like? That's the character of God. This is a man who now loves the people that he's willing enough to lay down his own life so that they may be saved. I don't know if you're seeing the parallel here, but I am. Sounds a lot like a man named Jesus. But we see here that Jonah is willing to lay all of his uncomfortable situation to the side and said, you know what, I've caused this mess. I am sorry for this mess. It is me, so get rid of me because I want you to be saved. I want you to come to know this God that I know. But here's what I love. I had never even seen this. Do you see that now that Jonah has this compassionate heart He is now being made into the likeness of who his father is. So he's filled with compassion and he says, look, I'm willing to be thrown off the ship so that you may be saved, but here's what I love, that Jonah's compassion was contagious. If I'm on that cruise ship and I know this is the guilty guy, that sucker's going overboard with a block around his ankle. Don't let him come back up. But what did the crew, what did the crew begin to do? They knew that it was Jonah's fault. He's admitted to it. He said, throw me over, get rid of me. But what did they do? They paddled harder. They paddled harder because this compassion that Jonah was feeling, this compassion was contagious. Because now their heart began to become softened to Jonah's heart. But before we move past this, there's one more thing that we gotta look at in verse 14. Remember, the storms just got stormier. The wind just blew harder. The rain just got harder. They know the answer. It's right there. Get rid of this guy and the storm will go away. But look at what they did. Remember a few moments ago, I said that they referred to God as little g. We'll all pray to our gods. Look at verse 14, then they called on who? The Lord, all caps, big bold print, and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. Church, this right here is the greatest news for a believer in Jesus Christ that God can still use you in spite of your disobedience. Do you realize what has happened in this book? Remember, he's 2,500 miles away from being obedient. He has ran from the Lord. And now all of a sudden, God has used his disobedience, transformed it into repentance and what we're gonna see later, obedience, but it has opened these men's eyes to who God is and the character of God because now they've cried out to the Lord. In spite of their disobedience, people have seen God move. Even in their disobedience, even in our sin, even our disobedience, do you realize that God is still big enough to use you in spite of your disobedience? And that's exactly what he's done to Jonah. They're getting to watch God work through this man And now they go from calling little G gods to declaring him Lord and praying to the Lord, the one and only Lord. And church, that's the good news. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear this. You're never too far away for God to use you. You're never too far away for God to save you. Repentance changes everything. Repentance changes everything. You see, when Jonah began to repent, when Jonah began to own this mess that he had made, people's eyes were opened to who God was. And so we kind of know how the story goes that no matter how hard they tried to save themselves, no matter how hard they tried to paddle for dry land, they realized, you know what? For us to be obedient now, we've been told by the prophet of God to throw him overboard. And that's the only way. Remember, they were trying everything they could for every one door of obedience, the enemy's gonna open 10 of disobedience. So you realize, even though they were working hard, even though they were paddling harder, yes, we'll give them an A for effort, but they were being disobedient because the word of God had spoken through Jonah and says, here's how you fix this mess. You get rid of me. And so now we know what they do is they get the crew together and they throw Jonah overboard. And we know immediately that the storm stopped Can you imagine being that crew and seeing that? Can you imagine being that crew that the moment that Jonah was thrown overboard, it stopped? But then the part of the story that we all know, that the grace of God literally gobbled Jonah up that the grace of God literally surrounded Jonah. The grace of God protected him. The grace of God saved him in spite of his disobedience. No matter how far he ran, he couldn't get away from the Lord And then in chapter two, all of chapter two is the prayer where Jonah prays and he repents. And I wonder this morning if there's anybody that can relate to this prayer of Jonah that you feel like you're so far away from God that there's no way God can love you, there's no way God can save you, but what you have to recognize, maybe you're in a mess right now, maybe your home is a mess, maybe your workplace is a mess, but what I want you to understand is recognize it as the grace of God, that God is sending that mess your way to open your eyes to his love, his mercy, and his compassion. But remember, Repentance changes everything. And what God is calling us to do as a church this morning, I mean, do we not recognize that this mess that our country's in, that this mess that our world is in, do we need to recognize this as God's grace? God's mercy. Is this mess we're in? Is it a reflection of the church's disobedience? Because church, we know the answer, and the answer is Jesus. But if we're not talking about Jesus, then there is no good news. but I wonder how many in this room that you've beat yourself up about your disobedience. Maybe you walked in here today in the middle of a mess that you've created in your home, that you've created in your workplace, and it is a direct result of your disobedience. Church, let's have the heart of Jonah and let's cry out to the Lord and just own what we've done. Just own the mess that we've made. And I can promise you, God's not gonna say you've gone too far. That's not the character of God. God is standing here with arms wide open to swallow you up by his grace. Jonah says this, I called out of my distress to the Lord and he answered me. I cried for help in the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the current engulfed me and your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Who here this morning needs to say, nevertheless, I'm gonna look again to you, Lord. The water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains and the earth with its bars was all around me forever. But you, but God. You have brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. And while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Thus who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Maybe that's you today and you feel like the weeds are around your neck. You feel like you are drowning. You feel like you are about to die in this mess that you've made. Repent and turn back to the Lord. You're never too far away. You're never too far away for God to extend his grace, for God to extend his love. God is a God of second chances. God is a God of third chances. And look at verse three, once he repented, once he got back and said, God, I am surrendering to you. I'm committing committing to the vow that I made because salvation is you. Look at chapter three. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah The second time, that's grace. That's grace. And what I love is that the mission didn't change. You know what? God didn't say, hey, you know what? You've repented. Great job. So because you've repented, because you've came back to me, I'm gonna make it a little bit easier this time. Nope. Arise. Go to Nineveh the great city and proclaim the proclamation, which I am going to tell you." Church, how humbling that must have been for Jonah to say, God, you didn't give up. God, you didn't change my assignment. God, you called me to Nineveh and I ran. God, I've repented now and I'm back and you're you're giving me another shot. How many in this room, you need another shot? You need another chance. You don't let the enemy tell you that your disobedience has forfeited your second chance. That is a lie from the pits of hell. You repent and you come back to the Lord. The prodigal son, probably one of my favorite stories because when the son realized he woke up in the mess that he had made and he came back, what did it say about the father? He was standing on the porch and he saw his son coming from a long way off. Church, some of you need to visualize that this morning, that your heavenly father is sitting on the front porch, standing on the front porch today, just looking for you to come home just looking for you to come back and you say, well, Brian, I can't. I've got too much guilt. I've got too much shame. It is finished. It is finished. That's what he was nailed to the cross for. But the good news is, is this fish pukes him out on the beach. No other way to put it and he's obedient, he goes to Nineveh and what happened? They believed, they believed, all because he's a God of second chances. So church, we're gonna be a church who commits to surrendered obedience.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think and also a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see, and that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.